Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a huge episode for me. Check it out. It's Negative Approach Week, and we are wrapping it up with one of the greatest vocalists of all time from the band Negative Approach, from the band Laughing Hyenas, from the band Easy Action, and now finally it can be heard from the band Static, John Brannon is here. And trust me, this is a good one. Uh, hold on one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for damien If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it. Letting, letting your friends know that we have a podcast here where we just talk about punk music. And yeah, so spread the word that way. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to it and rate it on your platform of choice. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please rate it. And thank you to everyone that does do that. You can also support it by heading over to patreon.com slash turned at a punk and checking out some of the stuff we do over there. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that does do that. It's very much appreciated and helps keep this show going. And speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind support of the fine folks at Vans who uh, came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we like what you're doing. Don't have to change a thing about it. Just don't do it out of your own pocket anymore. And they let me do this podcast as I see fit and just, yeah, believe in it, support it. So I cannot thank them enough for uh, looking out for this little guy over here on Turnetta Punk. Uh, And uh, speaking of things that we do in our lives, I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. We will be going on tour with Faith No More. Google fucked up Faith No More for more information about these shows. We will also be potentially, hopefully, yes, definitely, heading out a bunch for touring in the new year. Fingers crossed. And uh, on on 
in support of the 10th anniversary, I can't believe I'm saying that, of David Comes to Life, a record we put out oh, 10 years ago, that is now uh, being reissued by Matador Records. You can find out more information about that reissue over there on the Matador website. Also, our buddy Scotty Karate at Tank Crimes is putting out our hour and a half long song, Year of the Horse. So find out more information over there at tankcrimesrecords.com, tankcrimes.com. Just Google it and it'll come up. I promise. And also, I'm very, very, very happy to announce that we are uh, part of the Get Better Records family now, and they will be reissuing, finally, on vinyl, Epics and Minutes, something that only ever came out on CD. And I'm asked if it's ever going to come out on vinyl eh, pretty much at every show. So now I can finally give someone a, a, a concrete answer about when that's going to happen. Uh, and so head over to getbetterrecords.com for more information about that okay on to today's show today on the show my hero my my musical hero john brandon is here now this thing has been a long time coming together and i really have to give a huge thank you to dave buick former guest of the show and also friend of the show because he worked tirelessly to make this happen we we both were working on john from two separate sides, trying to make this thing come together, and it did. So thank you, Dave, for uh, all your help. And as I mentioned off the top, it's out today. If you're listening to this the day it dropped, there is finally a proper release, thanks to Third Man, of the infamous Static recordings. Now, Static is this band. We talked about this in the episode, so I'm not going to you know, rehash it for you now. You'll hear about it in a second. But this thing has existed in my imagination for like 20 some odd years at this point, like just thinking about this thing and like wondering what it's going to sound like. And when, when I first got a chance to hear it, I was, I was shaking. I'm not going <laughs> to, I, I really was because it was just, I've wanted to hear this thing for so long and here it is. And I don't, I don't want to overhype it to you, but for me, oh my gosh, did this thing live up to the hype? Uh, it's a perfect kind of gateway to the world that is John Brannon. You know, he is, this voice that, you know, as someone who has an aggressive vocal in a hardcore punk band or, you know, an aggressive vocal period, I think a lot of people malign it, you know, and a lot of people think it's just yelling into a microphone. And when you hear the way that John does it, and there's definitely other vocalists that also take it to different places, but John, when you hear John do it, you really do see how it's an art form. And to watch him develop his voice from static to negative approach two laughing hyenas and right to the day in easy action, like just seeing him kind of take this instrument and I don't know, just add depth to it. And just, I don't know. I'm, I could go on forever. I could go on forever and I'm not going to, because why hear me blather on about John's voice when you can actually hear John's voice. But before I let you hear this episode, I should tell you that in addition to the static record coming out, negative approach have also put out the tied down demos. The complete demo was put out by Tang Records for Record Store Day, and I believe there's still copies floating around and, and available. Uh, this thing is also definitely worth hearing and sounds way better than the bootlegs that I have of this recording uh, prior to getting the copy of this thing. And also, in in a couple weeks, the reissue of the Negative Approach 7-inch will be finally hitting the streets. It's going to be on Green vinyl this time, but there will be new cover art. It's not going to be the same cover 
as the last reissue from 2010. So everyone that complains, do not worry. There's there's different cover art, and this thing looks fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. If I didn't already own several copies of this thing, I would probably be ordering it right now. Ah, who am I kidding? I'm probably going to still wind up ordering it. You know, just, I wonder what it sounds like when it's on green vinyl. Those are the other questions that will uh, lead my children to have to deal with a lot of records and get rid of a lot of records when I die. But anyway, that's morbid. Let's stay positive right now because John Brandon is here. All right. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Uh, Sit back, relax, and enjoy John Brandon on Turned Out a Punk. John, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, man. We've been blowing this off for a long time. I'm glad we could do it. Well, as I've told you before, man, you're my Sinatra. So this is like a, a dream episode for me to get to do because, you know, it's like one thing to do it in like one legendary band, but you have done it time and time again. And I think with this static record that's coming out, it really shows that you've been here in punk since its inception and been here the whole way through. So, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Okay. <laughs> but I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, John, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Well, you know, I, you know, I was into music before punk. So I kind of, you know, when I was kind of getting into music, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you know, the beginning, you know, early 70s, uh, you know, hard rock, you know, glam rock. I mean, you know, locally, you know, it was Alice Cooper, MC5, Stooges. So to me, that was punk before I even knew, you know, the term punk. But, uh, you know, just, you know, just being from Michigan, that was, you know, I just thought that was the norm. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, you know to be into, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, in the early 70s. So um, as far as punk, you know, you know, when it first started coming out, you know, the Sex Pistols, seeing the photos and then, you know, hearing those records, you know. The Static used to cover the Pistols. We did. I mean, I mean, well, you know, we started kind of around 78, you know, we had those albums. We, you know, we had the damned and the clash and generation X and, uh, yeah, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, the dead boys, which we were really into, you know? So, but, but like I said, you know, you know, you know, the kind of, you know, the, you know, you know, the harder edge glam rock and stuff we, you know, to us, that was, you know, that was punk, you know, before, you know, before the term got slapped on it, you know? So where were you kind of hearing about this stuff? Because, you know, obviously it's happening locally with a lot of the Detroit rock stuff. But I mean, like in terms of the punk records, was it through like magazines or is there a radio seeing, station? Yeah, magazine, you know, Cream Magazine, you know, just seeing the photos. And then, you know, there was all this hot, you know, you know, we'd always, you know, buy the magazines, the rock magazines. And then, you know, there'd be early, you know, rock scene and, you know, you know, uh, well, you know, creams or, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they start, you know, start showing the photos of them and stuff. And then we're like, wow, this is like totally different. This is crazy. And then I remember that, you know, there used to be this radio station late night. They're like, we've just got a, you know, a UK pressing of the the Sex Pistols album. And they played it at like midnight or something. And, you know, I was in high school. I stayed up and listened to it. And, you know, it, it really wasn't that shocking. You know, it was never mind the Bullocks. And I'm like, you know, this sounds like a faster version of Mott the Hoople. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you know, cause it was kind of, you know, laced in, you know, that, you know, the Chuck Berry riffs and, you know, it wasn't that shocking. I mean, you know, I think, I think, you know, maybe more like the photos and the images of uh, kind of what was going on, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we heard that, you know, and of course, you know, well, we, you know, 
you know, you know, I was past my, you know, you know, kissing Aerosmith, you know, it was kind of like, well, this kind of sucks. And, you know, you know, it was new and exciting, you know, you know, and we, you know, we were all obsessed with it, you know, for a couple of years. So we, you know, decided that was kind of stupid too. You know, we're like, you know, the Sex Pistols are kiss, you know, you get a little older and then you get into other things. So. But you kind of need that cartoonish presentation to get you into something as a kid. Like, that's why I think Kiss is so successful is because they have that kind of like Saturday morning cartoon comic book feel. I was in, you know, I was 15. I was going to those gigs. Actually, the first, you know, like arena gig I ever saw is when they recorded that live album. Oh, awesome. Or when they claimed they recorded it. Because <laughs> years later, you found out there was five different gigs and massive <laughs> overdubbings. But, you know, when I was 15, you know, at that point, you know. Alice Cooper was kind of, you know, you know, getting a little, you know, Hollywood squares and kind of like, you know, that, that kind of came up and that, you know, as a 15 year old, you know, seeing those album covers, it was kind of cool. And then, uh, you know, I was actually my first like arena gig seeing that it was supposedly one of the nights that, you know, they recorded uh kiss alive. Was that the first time you ever saw live music though? That was my, no, not well. We might want to go back to 1969, my actual first gig. Yeah, what was your first gig? Judy Collins. <laughs> <laughs> my sister was in, it was like an outdoor venue, this place called Meadowbrook. I think that was my first exposure to weed. You know, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the thing where, you know, the family set up the blankets and the picnic tables, and it's like the amphitheater. My sister was really into Judy Collins. And, you know, I think I was about eight or, you know, I was probably about eight, maybe seven, eight, you know. And, you know, I kept smelling all this smell. And I was like, Dad, what's that smell? He goes, don't worry about that, son. <laughs> you know, so that was my first exposure to, like, you know, like hippies. And, you know, I was pretty straight-laced, you know, being the minister's kid. And, you know, you know, but, you know, I was, you know, I was excited, you know, seeing a stage with PAs and, you know, well, yeah, okay, Judy Collins. That was my first <laughs> actual gig. That's awesome. Stay away from that stuff, son. You want none of that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you don't want any part of this, son. <laughs> so I would, yeah it's just a, you know it's like you know i think you know for anybody the first time they smell weed it's like what the hell is this man yeah, yeah, yeah you know uh so where'd you kind of uh when was the first time you heard any of that sort of like detroit stuff like when was the first time you heard the stooges or the mc5 was it played on the radio well, or is there any sort of like cultural awareness yeah, larger you know maybe some late night you know the, the word alternative wasn't there but uh i gotta you know just being local you'd always hear about you know you know, Al, at this point, Alice Cooper was still a local band. You know, they they lived in town when, you know, they were doing Love It to Death and Killer. So that that was more like in the press because that was more of a media thing. But, you know, like, you know, early uh, Cream magazines just seen pictures of Viggy. I never actually heard the records till you know, I hung out, you know, with one of my friends and kind of got into their Big Brothers records and be like, <laughs> who's this dude? You know, you know, and then um. I gotta say, kick out the jams. They they did play that on the radio, but it was the clean. It was the brothers and sisters. I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of the motherfuckers version to like later on when I bought the albums, you know. But uh, they did kind of play in rotation. Kick out the jams. It was like uh, used to be at this radio station called CKLW, which actually broke Alice Cooper with eighteen, and that was kind of like they had the biggest broadcasting tower, so it was kind of like kind of covered all the Midwest, but it was um. It was actually based in Windsor across the street, you know, the bridge. Well, you, oh, you're from Canada, Windsor. Yep. But, but it had this big broadcasting, uh, you know, signal that went all around the Midwest. So, you know, they'd play kick out the jams. 
brothers and sisters. You know, you know, we were like, this is great. You know, you know, this is great. So when did you start going to like after I guess that first arena showed you with Kiss, did you start going to shows kind of on the reg at that I point? Was, I was kind of, when I was about 15, I was sneaking into venues and going and see bands play, you know, like uh God man, I gotta say like destroy all monsters. They'd be oh, awesome. playing a, there was a local club down the block for me called the Red Carpet. So, you know, at that point, you know, I had the long hair and the, you know, the leather jacket. So uh I kind of just sneak in the back door and I could catch gigs like that, you know. Yeah, and you know, whatever local rock thing was going on. So, you know. So was that kind of the scene at that point, destroy all monsters? Because it's kind of like in between, you know, your scene and and of course the Detroit rock scene. Locally, you know, you know, and, and kind of seeing those gigs like really early on, uh, you know, kind of sneaking into those shows. Uh the only cool bands, you know, it was kind of like Sonic Rendezvous Band and mm-hmm. Destroy All Monsters. And then you had all the spinoff bands that were just like crap. I mean, it was falling into the, you know, the 1978, 79. All these bands were claiming they were punk. And it was just, you know, them doing, you know, just it, it was horrible. I mean, there was nothing that crazy. And I wouldn't even, you know, consider like Destroy All Monsters or Sonic Rendezvous Band punk. They were just like dudes that were heroes from bands we already dug mm-hmm. what they were doing at that point you know they got kind of labeled into that thing there wasn't anything kind of crazy going on and i and i gotta say like 78 79 you know punk was still you know a four-letter word it was, you know you don't want to go there you don't want to know <laughs> about that so that's that's kind of like right when we started kind of doing gigs as static you know kind of breaking into that and we were like underage you know trying to play the clubs and shit and uh you know, just, I mean, I, I mean, you know, punk is so accepted now. They play it, you know, you know, they played in elevators now in a grocery stores. But uh, at that point, you know, it was still kind of like, a, you know, it's weird, dangerous thing, I guess. What's like the first punk gig you remember happening? Like that was actually like being called like a punk show in Detroit. Like real, like, well. Or even being marketed, you know, as, as like a punk show type thing, new wave or whatever. Would I, when I could first start kind of getting into bars just uh like good stuff would be like you know like in high school seeing the dead boys yeah devo yeah which i'd go see all the time i mean i mean those you know i gotta say those are probably the first couple gigs and then you know then i saw the ramones and you know you know that you know to me that you know those are punk gigs absolutely what about the pagans like was there any sort of connection with the never never saw the pagans i know they played detroit at bookies a couple times i wasn't aware of who the pagans were Mm -hmm. until i met the necros and they had you know they're from ohio they had all those 45s i i really wasn't aware of the pagans to like i gotta say like 81 you know when the necro you know i started hanging out with the necros and you know they played me those records sorry it's amazing how regional it was until hardcore where you have like scenes traveling around and interacting with each other but prior to that like shorts short of bands like showing up and playing somewhere there's not really it doesn't seem like the network's really established until you know you're kind of like the hardcore era really kicks it was a different thing yeah yeah because all those bands you know they'd play with each other and be in touch with each other Mm -hmm. i mean you know you know at that point you know i was still you know too young to get into the clubs you know well how did static come together Kind of, kind of, you know, I just, you know, I had, a, I had another band when I was 15 called Fallout. And that was kind of like, you know, battle the bands, you know, uh, you know, just kind of doing, you know, the basic 70s rock covers. 
that was my first experience kind of singing with the band. Uh, they actually had two originals and they were already kind of formed. And I kind of like came in as the lead to the bass pair was singing before that. And, you know, they're doing like Hendrix covers and, you know, you know, cinnamon girl by, you know, the Neil Young. Neil Young. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, um, I kind of came in and started singing with them and that was kind of like, you know, like a battle of the bands, like a, like a backyard kegger. You know, you know, so that was my kind of first experience. And then I can't remember, I think they kicked me out. Yeah, I'm always getting kicked out of bands because they always say, like, you know, we're looking for a better singer, John. John um, that blows my mind because as I say, you're like you're like my vocal hero. And it's it's funny because like hearing the static stuff that came out, like I'm really intrigued now to hear the fallout stuff because it's but, almost you know, I, I I know we made one tape. And I, I haven't talked to those dudes in like, you know, 40, 45 years. So, I mean, you know, the drummer might have like the one demo tape we made. It was songs they wrote and handed me the lyric sheet. So, I mean, it was pretty, uh, it was very 70s rock. Yeah. I mean, there was no element of punk. I remember, you know, I, you know, I was still in that band at 77 in high school. And I think the punkiest thing we did um it was right when the first cheap trick album came out and I had to beg those guys to, to like learn a cover of uh he's a whore. And they're like, oh, I don't know about this punk shit, man. You know, it was like one of those, but that's about the punkiest we got. Yeah. That, you know, you know, he's a whore. Yeah. You know, they wanted to do like Zeppelin covers and Hendrix covers. And, and then it kind of got like, you know, my inch, I, I, I'm pretty sure they kicked me out. Like John, you know, you're, you're on a different path here. So at that point, I was just like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm in high school. And now I'm like, I got to find like, you know, some people to jam with, you know, they're in, you know, on this wavelength, you know, you know, because, you know, the punk thing was just coming out. And like I said, you know, there's like, you know, like four punks in my high school. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, the jocks would want to beat you up if you, you know, mm -hmm. said, oh, I'm into punk. I mean, at that point, you know, I still had the long ass fucking hair and shit. And, you know, the last, you know, I kind of dress in the same way I have since I've been 15, but, uh, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I guess I look like, you know, like a seventies burnout, you know, you know, still, but you know, I was into punk and, uh, had to find, you know, people that were like-minded and wanted to jam. So, you know, I think I was like 17 and then I found this kid, he was like 15 and, and, you know, cause I was like asking everybody in school who plays guitar, who plays guitar. And they're like, Billy plays guitar. But, you know, at that point, you know, he wasn't into punk at all. He had no inkling what it was. He was into like Hendrix and basically Hendrix. You know, yeah. you know, I mean, he was a little virtuoso and shit. So I remember I started hanging out. I go, we got to form a band and we're going to write songs. Cause you know, I was like, we got to get away from this cover shit. I was really, you know, determined at a young age. to so like, you know, we got to write songs, man. We got to, you know, take to this to the next level, you know? So, you know, he was like I said, he was all obsessed with Hendrix and you know, you know, guitar virtuosity and all this shit. So, you know, I loaned him uh, you know, I figured I got I go, this guy can totally fucking play. And he wants he wants to form a band and write songs. So I kind of gave him a crash course of punk. I handed him, you know, first Sex Pistols album, first damned album, and uh, you know, the first Generation X album and the Dead Boys album, you know, Young Allow instead. I go. I go, learn this. This is what we're going to do. And then, and he really liked the dead boys and he really liked generation X. 
and you know you like the pistols you know you like the other shit too yeah but, yeah you really like generation x because you know they kind of had their own thing going on so you now out of that kind of came like you know we kind of just started trying to write songs and you know you know we practiced every day in my mother's basement after fucking school late at night the cops would come all the time because he had like a marshall stack and big muff and uh you know you know i'm you know i was living in girls point park which is a pretty reserved you know straight laced uh you know neighborhood you know we lived like a block away from detroit you know on the east side you know you know the cops would come every night it just it would just be me and him just you know just jamming all night and uh you know neighbors calling the cops every night and you know, we kind of, you know, we started writing some riffs and, and I, and I think the first couple songs that we actually wrote were like, you know, there were actually song songs were, you know, toothpaste and pills and punk nation. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, those are my first attempts at, uh, actually had, well, actually having like a finished song <laughs> where, you know, I had, you know, lyrics and a concept. So those were kind of like, in my life's a TV show. Those they hold all- up though. Like that for like, those are your first attempts at writing those songs those songs rip like that's the thing about this record i had built it up so much in my mind because it was legendary the 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 static recording i remember there was talk of thurston putting it out way back when i remember that was a rumor that That, was well that kind of came up uh you know that was you know i was hanging out with the necros and when i first met the necros and uh you know we started you know hanging out with them and starting to go to their shows i was still in static when i you know when i first met those guys and yeah I think gave like Todd or Barry, you know, like one of the basement tapes, one of the demo tapes that might, you know, pro- probably had some of those versions of the songs that ended up on the album. Cause, you know, I got boxes of tapes, you know, 10 versions of toothpaste and pills. And anyway, I get, you know, I go, this is our demo, man. Cause you know, that was the thing back in the day, you know, having an eight by 10 glossy and a demo tape, man. Cause that's how you got a gig, man. <laughs> so, you know, you know, so I, I, I gave them a tape. And then, like, years later, I think it was Barry, um, he gave Thurston, you know, I was in the, you know, the highness at this point, and um, I think he gave Thurston a dub of the demo, and then, and then you know, you know, Sonic Youth and the Hyenas were kind of hooked up doing gigs, and Thurston's like, God, I really want to put out that that static tape, and I'm like, what? You got the static tape? I was kind of embarrassed, you know, it's kind of like one of those things, uh, you know, you know, after negative approach and starting laughing, I was I'm like, you know, you know, I, I, I got a serious music career going now and I'm trying to, you know, write meaningful songs. And, you know, Static was always like, you know, that skeleton in my closet. That <laughs> I didn't want anybody to know about because I was pretty embarrassed about it. You know, you know, kind of coming out of a glam rock thing and then, you know, discovering hardcore and then, you know, you know, realizing everything that I have done is wrong. And this is what I want to do. You know, after see, you know, like Black Flag with Dez. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, you know like early DOA gigs and uh you know, you know, uh, you know, Necros. I was like, wow, man, everything I'm doing is wrong. This is this is stupid, man. You know, and then you know that I, I figured, you know, I can do that, you know, that's what I want to do. But um, oh any just anyway, uh Thurston got the tape and then you know, he's like, man, I want to put this out on a static piece. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. I go, we're, we're not opening that can of worms. And then he kept bugging me. He goes, no, man, this stuff's really good, man. And I, I you know, I'd kind of race that whole 
part of my life out of in my mind you know so so that never came about i was just like you know i was adamant i was like no man this is never happening nobody's ever gonna know about this so you know that kind of came up at one point and uh you know like i said all the tapes and the photos all got stuck in a box and locked in my mother's uh basement for like you know 40 years <laughs> to like uh you know, well, just a, a, a thing that came up, it was like, it was a couple of years ago, we were on tour, Easy Action was on tour with Dinosaur Jr. And uh, we, uh, they, they were going to, it was the Nashville branch of that. And they, they, they were going in there to like cut some like live 45 for Dinosaur Jr. So mm-hmm. while we were there, uh, Ben Blackwell, you know, the guy who runs it there, um, you know, he's giving us a tour of, you know, Third Man and showing us, you know, his amazing, you know, Stooges collection and then, he opens up this thing. It's like a bank vault. He goes, these are the Jack White tapes. And then, you know, we started talking. I go, God damn, you got, you, you got all his fucking tapes. We got, and he's like, yeah, we got every, you know, tape he's ever done since he was, you know, in his bedroom with the cassette recorder. And then we started talking about tapes. And then he's like, he goes, you know what, John, you got, you, you got to break out those, those static tapes, you know, because he grew up, you know, kind of right near, you know, on the east side in gross point he, he was a few blocks away from me back in the day and uh and I, you know it was another thing like oh no 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 i can't do that man it's too embarrassing i can't i can't bring this can't bring this to life <laughs> uh, okay a couple years go by i'm kind of you know leslie and i get you know we got a new house in ferndale so I, you know i started transferring all my you know my records and all my kind of rock and roll stuff that i've had stashed in my mom's basement for years so kind of came across the static tapes and it broke those open. It was during, you know, during lockdown, I had a lot of time. I was like, eh, you know, I'll crack a beer and check this stuff out. And then I started listening to it and I was like, whoa, this isn't, this isn't that bad. And then, it, you know, it was kind of, you know, kind of like as time went on, I guess, well, I guess, you know, cause I, I, I would never listen to that shit and started listening to it. And then I was thinking about what Blackwell said, like, oh, so you know that you know eventually i made like a comp tape for third man i made him a couple tapes of just you know picking out songs here and there so mm-hmm. i sent that to them and they're like oh we totally want to put this out and i was like really <laughs> so you know then it got to a point like i started finding more tapes you know every you know everything was on cassette so i think i said i'm like you know like five 90 minute tapes completely filled with stuff you know and uh they kind of gave it to their their sound guy, uh, Warren to Fever. You know, they, they kind of like you know, you know, uh, you know, put it on the computer and all that stuff. And then we kind of, you know, we kind of narrowed it down. And then we started listening to the stuff, and they're like, "Oh, there's totally an album here." You know, if, you know, we pick and choose the songs. So, uh, you know, we kind of narrowed it down to like the best of what we had. Not necessarily the best performance, but you know, the best sounding quality cassette I happen to have, and what do we narrow down to about 12 tracks and there's a seven inch too well i'm including that oh, yeah I, yeah i can't I, I don't know how many songs are on the album like i think, I think it's 14 with a seven inch maybe? oh it's that many yeah I, just, I, mean, so. I don't i don't know the count okay yeah, I don't we, have kind of, we kind of narrowed it down to the best of what we had yeah. and then you know you know it's it, you know it's crazy the third man would want to put this out well it makes yeah. sense right like this to me is like this is the Rosetta Stone, you know, like this thing is like the way to understand, like you're, I know you're like, you don't like the fact that this, but to me, this is the perfect bridge between that early punk Detroit stuff. And then this hardcore stuff that of course, negative approach would kind of like 
bring to the world, you know, but this to me is like, uh, I don't know, like a key document. It makes sense that third man's putting it, especially with the Detroit connection, obviously. Like, I mean, you know, I'm surprised, you know, that third man would want to put out a record with just, you know, vocals, guitar and drums. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why i thought that was pretty brave on their part <laughs> definitely that, that, I, don't, I don't know if that concept's been done before they, 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 they might... basically say well we didn't have a bass player <laughs> you know you know so i was just kind of like you know the drummer you know billy on guitar and you know you know me singing you know you know we didn't have a bass player for the first year we couldn't get we auditioned people or you know we put out ads in the paper you know looking for a punk bass player you know you know yeah. the Detroit news and all that stuff you could you know you know put uh you know the classifieds you know musicians wanted I mean we we were on the mad search for anybody to play bass but as soon as you said you wanted to be in a punk band people are like oh, I don't want to do that shit man and then uh you know it was it was this guy Mike Neal that actually lived across the street from me and he's actually the guy that kind of taught me how to play guitar when I was like 15 and stuff and he was all, you know, him, him and his brother, um, Steve Neal, who does a bunch of backup vocals on the record. And, uh, you know, uh, they, you know, they would come over and party and watch us all the time, you know, drink beer and stuff. And, they, you know, they'd always like laugh at us, and make fun of us and be like, oh, you guys, man, oh, you guys, you guys suck. You guys, you guys, are ne you know, you guys are never going to do anything with this. So just about a year later, you know, we couldn't find a bass player. So I finally convinced Mike to play bass you know he's like i don't want to play that punk shit brandon you guys suck anyway so you know just a lot of like come on man you're over here every night watching us you know you know making fun of us why don't you play bass because because he was like a, you know a lead guitar player and he was all you know his shit was like hendrix and the stones and mm -hmm. you know i mean he was you know he's in alice cooper and the stooges and all that but he he he, he kind of like laughed at the whole punk thing. He was just like, "Oh, this shit's ridiculous," and you know, you know, he's into classic rock or whatever. So we finally got him to play bass. So at that point, you know, you know, beyond playing, you know, the house parties in my mom's basement, you know, which we did for a year, we'd have all the neighborhood kids come over, and you know, you know, just kind of like little mini concerts in my mom's basement. Um, house shows, the punk staple. That, that's what it was man it's like you know you know you know oh, let's go over to brandon's house man you can party over there you know yeah and you know then we have the house parties and like i said the cops would come the cops came to our house so many so many times i can't even tell you how many times they shut us down they tried <laughs> they tried to end us before we could even do anything so i mean you know then we got mike to play bass and then it was like then we started kind of you know started trying to get bar gigs and started, you know, actually kind of playing around the local places, you know, you know, bookies and nunzios and the red carpet. And we actually played, you know, we actually did gigs at like the freezer theater. Yeah, that's know, what I saw on the recording. There's like a recording. You know, you know, from there. Well, at that point, it was just kind of like a poetry hippie venue, you know, like a folk place. You know, this was before, this was before you know, the hardcore thing took it over, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, claimed that as a, its own. But, uh, you know, we play all the particular songs and. We never really, there was only a few gigs where we actually got to play our whole set, you know, because we'd usually do toothpaste and pills around the fourth song. So. And that would shut it down. Well, you know, we, we had the stage show, you know, <laughs> where, you know I, I would come out and, uh, you know, be wearing my mother's uh, polka dot raincoat and, you know, we had makeup on and, 
you know, I, you know, I, you know, my black, you know, I'm trying to be Alice Cooper type look and, you know, you know, we couldn't really afford like, uh, you know, like stage wear to have, you know, the boots like kiss or, you know, or anything. So we spray paint or like black shoes, like silver and be like, Oh, this is punk. And I, have, you know, one of my dad's old suit coats on, or like I said, one of my mother's raincoats and, you know, lot, lots of makeup and, uh, you know, you know, I come out with my tubes of toothpaste and squeeze it all over the place, you know, <laughs> but that was like so threatening for the clubs. It was like, we'd usually get to about that song you know, the chorus toothpaste and pills, you know, that, you know, I'd squeeze the toothpaste all over the place. And, you know, I, that, that was just so threatening to Detroit. You know, we just thought it was funny. You know, mm. we wrote that song, you know, you know, it really means nothing. I just kind of want, you know, there's a couple words I put together, you know, toothpaste and pills, crimson and clover, you know, you know, rebel, rebel, you know, I was trying to write yeah. some, you know, frustrated teen anthem. Cause that was all, you know, coming out of the glam thing you know all the teenage anthems and you know you know the alice cooper thing you know we need to write a teenage anthem that you know the you know disaffected youth can relate to man the outsiders you know that was my that was my whole goal to write you know some kind of anthem and so you know whatever we you know we come out and you know do toothpaste and pills and you know they'd shut us down four songs you know the cops would come you know they call the cops on us because they're like you guys caused, you know, you ruined our monitors, man. You guys will never play here again. So every time, you know, we'd show up at a club and be like, oh, no, it's that toothpaste, man. <laughs> like, and it was kind of like the NWA thing. If you guys do fuck the police uh, tonight, we're going to shut you down. It, it, it literally got to a thing like, if you guys do that toothpaste song tonight, we're pulling you off stage. So, you know, we always took it as a threat and we, we always just did it. You know, so it, 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 and it, you know, it's a tube of toothpaste. You know, I throw like you know bottles of bare aspirin in. You know, you know to compensate for the pill part. So I throw aspirin at the audience and uh, have a couple tubes of toothpaste and uh, you know, you know, make my mess and you know, squeeze it all over me. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know. That, that was our stage show. We didn't have a lot of money. We could go to the drugstore and buy a couple tubes of toothpaste and you know some aspirin and. It, it, it caused havoc in Detroit. I mean, I got to say at that point, uh, it, it was a threat. And we, we were just laughing, you know. Well, because it kicks off really early in Detroit, obviously, because of the Detroit rock stuff. But even like the punk thing, like there's a lot of early punk bands. There's also like the Romantics and the reruns and that sort of power we, pop we, stuff. We go see all those bands. They play down the block. There's a place called the Red Carpet. And the, all those, you know, there was, you know, there was the Rockets mm-hmm. and there was Romantics. And, you know, there was the cubes and, you know, cold cock and uh, out of, out of all those kind of bands that were, were kind of like in that scene, the only, the only really kind of, eh, you know, bands that have records out at that point, you know, we do gigs with, uh, you know, cult heroes, yeah, Nikki and the Corvettes. I mean, you know, be on that level and we, you know, you know, the back of our, our, you know, our 17 year old, you know, we're the best band in the world. You know, we'd be like, these guys suck. You know, and we'd always put, you know, the call heroes thought, you know, they thought we were cute. So we actually did, you know, some, you know, Hiawatha was like, oh, Johnny, oh, Johnny Static. You know, you know, you know, you know, so they were the, you know, like kind of like the first kind of bands that were kind of, you know, you know, labeled as that punk thing going on at that point that, you know, would actually ask us back to play with them, you know. 
What about bands like the Ivories and Cinecide and, and that whole Tremor oh, record that stuff? stuff was going on, but you know, I got it. You know, I thought I was, you know, well, you know, just just because they played, just because it was the time frame like 78, 79, they all claimed they were punk. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to this stuff, I go, man, this is like watered down, like you know, power pop, or you know, you know, you had like the mutants and stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. going, you know, these dudes are doing you know, animal covers and thinking it's like, you know, you know, you know, because you'd read about them later in New York rocker and be like, oh, you know, you know, punk explosion, you know, come, you know, they were, they were kind of the first bands that had 45s out, like local 45s. So, you know, they got the exposure, but, you know, we saw all those bands and we're like, nah, nah, we're better. You know, you know, we always had that attitude, you know. Well, because I like I do think the recordings are awesome. Was there ever talk of like putting out records on Tremor or Spider Records or anything? No, of man, nobody wanted anything to do with us, man. Mm-hmm. We were like, you know, you know, we were that toothpaste band. Like I said, <laughs> like I said, we barely made it through any show where we didn't get pulled off stage and like, you guys need to leave now. Now, just we we don't we don't like your punk shit. And, you know, we didn't, you know, we're, we're looking like glam rockers, you know, we're still kind of holding on to that. We we're kind of, you know, holding on to the glam thing, you know, because we, you know, because punk was, you know, in our eyes was just coming out and we were discovering that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, we try to maybe try to, you know, look like Alice Cooper or the dolls or something, but, you know, we we're playing a little harder than any of these people, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're more like in tune with, you know, the dead boys and, you know, that kind of sound. Well, were there any bands that were kind of playing around then that you did feel a kinship to? Like, I mean, prior no. to like the hardcore no. stuff. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> we thought they all sucked. We thought, they, like I said, the only bands that I appreciated were uh, Destroy All Monsters and Sonic Rendezvous Band. They're the only bands where I was like, okay, this is good. You know, these this is cool. But like I said, I really didn't consider that punk. Mm. Like I said, you know, these are members of heroes of bands I was in. They were good, though. They were, you know, their, their style they played, but that to me that was the only interesting thing going on, you know. Did did Static and NA overlap? Because Static goes to like eighty one, right? Uh, There's recordings on the record from eighty one. I think the latest recording. It's funny because the last Static show was uh, July, I think Coronation Tavern in Windsor. We used to play there all the time because they, you know, you know, you know, they've let us play. And, the, you know, they actually liked us, you know, because we'd smash bottles and stuff. That was kind of like, you know, Canadian thing. You could, you know, get you know, our stage show. I'd, I'd always be breaking glass and, you know, you know, you know, trying to, you know, be crazy or whatever. The Canadians like that shit. They'd all be drunk going, yeah, man. You know, you know, you know, um, it, it was kind of like towards the end of static. Like I said, you know, I was already kind of hanging out with the necros and stuff. And then, you know, you know, you know, towards the end. You know, my guitar player is like, well, you know, JB, uh, you know, I think I'm looking for a better singer, man. He, he just he didn't like the direction I was going in, you know, because I was getting, you know, starting out with the Necros and they started, you know, playing me the L.A. stuff. And, you know, you know, the first, you know, the first dudes who played me like, you know, the germs and, uh, you know, you know, the black flag and the weirdos, you know, you know, and then, you know, um. You know, you know, I was hanging out with them a lot. He didn't, he didn't like that. And I'd met Larissa and Tesco, also kind of like hipping me, you know, to this whole other world that I wasn't aware of. And then, uh, um, I don't, I, I already been hanging out with Pete Zaleski, 
who was the original bass player, you know, because he went to my high school. So uh, we were already talking about we got to start something new. And the, the guitar player wanted to fire me. You know, they, they always want to fire me. Like, uh, you know, we, I need to find, you know, somebody a little more melodic. You know, I was trying. Yeah. It was right when I was developing my voice, trying to get a little harder. And he wasn't, you know, and I was like, we, we need to be more punk. And, you know, his, his whole deal was like, I think my guitar solo should be longer. You know, <laughs> he wanted to show his talents. And I go, no, man, we need to write songs with no guitar solos. So I, at that point, I kind of had the nucleus, what, you know, what I wanted to do for negative approach. So, and it was kind of like, uh, I got to say, I, I think static was still going on towards the end. And then, and then we saw Black Flag with Dez at Bookies. And, it, it, you know, I think Pete talks about it in the liner notes mm -hmm. we drove home that night, and we knew Static was over. And then I think we had that one, one gig booked that, you know, there's a couple tracks on the album from that last show, which you can kind of see, you know, is a little harder, you know, you know than the earlier tracks. But, uh, you know, just, you know, you know, just becoming aware of, you know, you know, to me, that was something new and exciting that I could probably be a part of. And, uh, you know, it was young people doing it and it was just stripped down, you know, really raw music. I was really attracted to that. So, you know, at that point, you know, that static was over, you know, you know, I was going in a different direction, you know. It feels like there's almost like a complete changing of the guard that happens in the scene. Like there's like, you know, in that, in uh, the documentary, Otto's documentary, yeah. uh, there's like almost like a hard stop. And everyone talks about how you're like one of the few people that kind of like crossed over, I guess Pete as well, but like there are very few people that kind of cross over. It's like a new scene that starts up. Were there other people that you remember at the time kind of like getting into it with you guys, or is it really just you guys kind of like crossing well, over? I got to say static. We had maybe like five people that would follow us around. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, I can't really say we had an audience. I mean, you know, it was just basically like showing up and playing with some other established band and getting thrown off stage. And <laughs> you could, you kids never come back now. You, you know, you know, it was like that. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't any kind of, you know, you know, kind of like felt like there was a group of people kind of, you know, till I, you know, started hanging out with the Necros and Tesco and Larissa. And then at that point, I got to say there was about 10 of us, you know, what, you know, became the nucleus of, uh, you know, the freezer scene and the, you know, the early hardcore scene. It, it started out really small. And I got to say, you know, you know, the band that brought everybody together for this new, you know, you know, what was about to happen, you know, was the Necros, you know, because they, they were developing an audience. We were part of that, you know. Yeah. So it all, it all kind of formed out of that. It was really the Necros coming to Detroit in causing chaos and mix, you know, you know, pissed it off all the same people that static played with. So I felt a kinship with them. And I was like, wow, these guys are, these guys are younger than me. And they're, they're so tight and they got a real band. And, you know, then it was a point, you know, they got a record out, you know? So, you know, I started hanging out with them and I, you know, was lucky enough to, you know, you know, you know, be involved with, you know, the early touch and go thing and, you know, have them, you know, you know, release a record and stuff. So, you know, I was real fortunate to meet them and, you know, you know, that was the new, you know, 81 kind of the nucleus of, uh, you know, what became the hardcore scene. And like you wrote that first seven inch on guitar in like the course of a weekend, right? I think I remember reading that in Tony's book. 
I a bunch of those tunes. Yeah, I had this shitty Magnum guitar. Yeah, and I was just learning how to, you know, you know, I was kind of like towards the end of that was another thing that broke up static when I could finally, you know, <laughs> establish a song. Yeah, the guitar player got really pissed when I'd be like, Billy, I wrote, I wrote this tune, and he'd always act like he didn't know how to. I don't know how to play this, man. <laughs> I go, dude, this is like three chords, man. You you, you do Hendrix solos. Don't tell me you can't play this. He got really offended. Uh, I started writing songs. That's when the so, singer gets power, when they learn so, to pick up the guitar. I, You know, I always get that with the bands. They're like, John, man, I, I don't know if I can play this riff. I get that with the hyenas sometimes, too. I'd come up with a bass line, and Kevin would be like, oh, I don't know if I can play this. I go, what are you talking about? You don't know how to play this. <laughs> You know, they get really offended when it's not their shit. And somebody says, like, check out this riff. But, um, yeah, the, the the nucleus of you know that first EP, it really, yeah, I just, I, like, the early stuff, you know, like, Sick of Talk and, uh, uh, you know, negative the song Negative Approach and Pressure and all that stuff. Yeah, I just, dude, I just, when I really could, like, kind of master the bar chord and, uh just sit down and put the cassette player. I, I, those songs just popped out of my head, you know, like yeah. real quick, real quick, you know? And I guess like the, the things that really stand out about that, like, obviously it's a classic, but I think the things that stand out is obviously your voice. But then the other thing is like, you've got this sort of, you know, British second wave, British street punk, oi, I guess prior to being called classified oi, really influence in all this stuff too. Like that's kind of there. Where you get, where were you getting into that stuff from? Like, just no. Uh, god i gotta say you know just really first hit us i guess that first oi the album yeah and then you know the blitz stuff and then just the, the early discharge singles but i mean that goes back to like uh you know you know you know the first sex pistols album you know when mm -hmm. i probably first started to sing i probably you know trying to do that johnny rotten snarl and then, then i try to get away from that because i'm like i'm not english but you know that was kind of instilled in my brain because you know we, you know we played the hell out of that album and kind of yeah. having that overtone. But uh, you know, it was, you know the Sham '69. I remember, I you know I remember I had uh you know that's life, you know you know that's when I was in Static, you know still you know uh, Aria Perry, come on, you know come on, yeah. you know all that stuff. We love that shit. Well, that stuff, that stuff's amazing too, and it's just like it's 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 so i think like that's the power of negative approach is your voice with this sort of like you know anthemic punk with this sort of energy of american hardcore like i think that's why that record cuts through and remains sort of like like how old is that record you're doing this as a kid and we're still talking about it they're still grown-ass men it's crazy man because we you know we weren't even thinking about it we didn't even think we'd be together you know you know six months after you know we were so excited we could even record a record <laughs> yeah you know we we're like whoa you know, because that was, you know, the static shit, you know, it was like, you, you know, you know, before we knew that you could release an independent record, I mean, the, you know, the train of thought was kind of like, we need to be signed to a record label. I mean, you think about, you know, all the early punk releases, those are all major albums. So yep. we had, we had no kind, you know, at that point, we're still kind of naive. We had no, you know, well, first of all, we didn't have any money or anything. You know, we didn't know you could put out an independent record. We thought, you know, we thought the deal was like, well, we got to be signed to a label. It, yeah, and of course, there was no interest. <laughs> there was no interest <laughs> in what we were doing. So, you know, just the fact that, you know, you know, it was the beginning, you know, Touch and Go Records, you know, they put out The Fix and, you know, The Meat Men and, 
you know, you know, necro stuff. So, you know, just to be asked to do that, that was, you know, that was, that was exciting as hell. And, you know, we, we did that first record. We did it in Corey's uh, bedroom, uh, like on a four track, it, you know, it's a, yeah, I mean, just, you know, just the fact that that record's held up and, you know, considered whatever it is, you know, we just, we just did that in his bedroom on a weekend, one weekend, just recorded all the songs. Okay. It's also amazing when you like, think about like, how small that scene you're talking about with this sort of like, you know, a dozen person nucleus that also incorporates some other bands produce so many classic records and so many classic bands. I gotta, I got you can't really say Detroit. So you gotta call it, you know, the Midwest. Yeah. Scene. The Midwest scene, yeah, I guess. All yeah. Kind of spread out, you know, with the meat men and, uh, you know, next, you know, uh, that whole deal. I mean, um, I gotta say, you even go up, you know, to the L seven, you know, the early, mm -hmm. uh, releases, uh, everybody kind of had their own own sound so it's kind of weird that you know you know you got to say well you got to say michigan midwest whatever kind of had its own kind of you know early uh you know sound that was really interesting all the bands were you know nobody sounded alike yeah we're all kind of doing their own thing but you know it's just crazy to think that people are even you know you know the touch and go sound the midwest you know the freezer scene whatever just you know the people still talk about this well yeah the l7 sounds nothing like the necros right who sound nothing like you guys but well, we, would, we would all do shows together yeah right? we'd all do shows together because like i said there was only like a handful of us that were kind of like you know fighting against you know you know fighting the war against new wave and, <laughs> you, know, you know just you know all the stuff that wasn't you know what well, well, it also it also feels that like a lot of like sort of seemingly disparate worlds kind of would would meet in Detroit or Detroit would get down with like the DC, this, the, the DC scene and the misfits or, you know, noise rock or or like weird like birthday party stuff that was coming in as imports like it feels like Detroit had like a very sort of broad palette when it came to what was punk or whatever new wave or hardcore it's like when people got a little cooler they're more accepting of that stuff i mean the detroit scene loved loved all the discord stuff mm -hmm. and that you know that you know that connection kind of you know with the necros and ian you know uh you know he uh produced you know their second ep so you know you know that that was a big groundbreaking gig you know when minor threat came to town uh um you know at that point we already had negative approach together and stuff and uh for about like two months, you know, we, had, you know, static was over, you know, but uh, they, they came and played Windsor, you know, Coronation Tavern. And I think anybody that was at that gig, you know, just knew that this is it. I mean, I mean, the first groundbreaking gigs were like, you know, early DOA gigs and, you know, necro gigs and the first couple of meat men shows and, uh, you know, but when minor threat came, everybody was like, Whoa. I think I think a lot of bands got formed that night. Yeah, you, know, you know the skater kids. They're like, "Wow, man!" You know, you know, because that that was just jaw dropping. And then you know, like a little later, you know, the Bad Brains coming through, and you know, Black Flag. Just you know, just the early stuff that was uh, just freaking everybody out, and just you know, Detroit loved all that stuff. You know? Yeah, that Minor Threat show seems sort of legendary. That's also where your your drummer got beaten down by the dc he, uh, dudes, right he, he was a goofy dude he was always walking around with a drink in his hand uh trying to stage dive he was, he was a nutball zoo hair yeah it was it, actually actually the first incarnation of uh we all went to the same high school 
uh he, he was actually the first drummer in static oh really? but, but the guitar player was like I, can't, I think we did like a couple house parties with him and then you know the guitar player's like I, I can't deal with your friend john <laughs> you know but there, there was only, like i said about five punks in my high school and it, he, he had that early tribal thing going on so we got rid of him and then you know we got this other guy red to play a little a little more uh could play better beats but uh yeah it was it was something god and you know, i was totally freaked out because uh you know like oh minor threats coming to town you know we get to meet all these guys because you know we had the 45s and you know you know whatnot and uh he did something like he bumped into uh you know alec was there yeah i think know. he hit alec or that's what ian he, says he, he hit alec i think he, it wasn't into, it wasn't like he hit him okay i think he did like some stage he was a big guy i think he did like some goofy stage dive and landed on him and kind of knocked him over so wrong person point, it, yeah yeah it, and then it, you know you know, you know pete, me and pete were like minor threat's gonna kill us <laughs> i mean the word on the street was like that dude from negative approach <laughs> you know, i mean we laughed about it you know you know like years later you know like me and an alec or whatever and it's kind of like that was like we've just started and we're over. Minor <laughs> wants to kill negative approach, you know, you know, you know. But uh, you know, that was just one of those goofy things, and yeah, you know, we eventually got rid of Zuber. Yeah, but uh, well, that seems to be almost like the the next era of negative approach, right? When you get rid of him and and Op and Graham join. Well, just I mean, you know, me and Pete Zaleski um, basically started the band. And, you know, we had Zuhair and, 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 you know, before we had Rob on guitar, it was just the three of us. Mm. And at that point we were writing all, you know, you know, we had a bunch of the early songs, you know, you know, together just as a three piece. And then uh, we eventually got Rob to come in and then, you know, and kind of like we, we did gigs, we did gigs with that lineup and then, you know, Pete, he kind of, you know, he kind of wanted to go on and do something else. So Pete started this band called the allied. So, you know, he, he wanted to go in a different direction. So at that point, uh, Rob's like, well, why don't I get my little brother to play bass and Opie? And they had this band, Youth Patrol. They were actually, you know, on that first process of elimination single. So when they came into it, then we really started kind of getting all the songs together for, you know, the first EP and stuff. And, and at that point, you know, Opie, you know, Chris Moore, he, he, he had a bunch of riffs. So, you know, he, 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 was, uh, he was a guitar player became a drummer so mm -hmm. you know he kind of you know you know he's responsible for you know writing a lot of those classic riffs you know yeah and it's just it's uh it's really at that point i guess that the detroit hardcore thing's really going right like it, and, and i even guess when it gets big it's not even that many people ultimately right like a few it was hundred. always a handful of people always think it was like yeah you know this is you know even uh even at its peak that everybody has this illusion that you know the freezer theater holds five thousand people. I mean, at the most, that was like maybe one hundred and fifty kids. Yeah, you know, I, I it's hard to put a number on it, but like I I really got to say it started out with started out with about seven seven of us, then it was became twelve, and then you know as the ball got rolling, maybe it was fifty. And then kind of like, you know, you know, the peak of the freezer theater, you know, when the misfits were playing there and, uh, 
that couldn't have been more than 150 kids. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get that many people in there. And, uh, you know, it's like everybody has this illusion that, like, there's thousands of people. I mean, at that point, punk was still, you know, people weren't, you know, people weren't getting the hardcore thing. Yeah. You know, they, they, it, it was totally like, it was still like, you know, punk sucks and tell these dudes with the shaved heads and, you know, you know, it wasn't that, ex- it was still kind of like, on. it was pretty underground. I gotta say like 81, you know, you know, it was not accepted how it is, you know, like how it is today, mm-hmm. like, like the norm. I mean, you know, the norm today be like, do something completely opposite. Cause you know, everybody's wearing the uniform and has the look and, you know, it's all laid out for you. I yeah. mean, at that point, it, you know, it, you know, it's, it, it was different. It was different for people just to see us hanging out and try to accept it, you know, which they didn't, you know. Well, there's that famous story, I guess, that they kind of tell in that documentary again, where like, I think it's the last show of the freezer where minor threat plays. Hmm. And there's like tons of people show up and the cops pull up and there's like a huge fight and the cops pull up on the fight and are just like, we have no idea what the fuck this is and just roll out without arresting anyone without breaking up the fight or anything. That was, yeah, that was, that was like nuts. That, that was kind of like right when it, it just kind of, you know, I don't want to say, you know, the outsiders started coming in or people that really weren't getting the people were attracted to, uh, you know, the punk thing and, you know, black flag. Cause it, you know, they, you know, they thought it was like a license to come to gigs to beat people up and, mm. you know, you know, that's, that's right at the beginning where it kind of started getting a little stupid where, you know, it kind of started out with a bunch of, you know, creative people and, you know, you know, you know, the, the idea of going to shows wasn't like go beat somebody up. And so, you know, there was two factions of people that, you know, I, I don't know the exact story. Like somebody said some shit to somebody's girlfriend. So, you know, two groups of people just got in this all out brawl. And it's like, you know, that was kind of like, that was the kind of start where, you know, shows started becoming a drag, you know, yeah. it's like, we, you know, we really didn't start it, you know, started out to like turn into this. It was kind of like, kind of like when the, you know, other people, like their concept of what hardcore was started kind of coming in and kind of like the beginning of the end for Detroit. Cause Detroit just got, it got really bad. It was really violent. And, you know, that was part, you know, that was part of the reason for, you know, the original NA guys to leave. They're just, you know, every gig we did was just like, just people getting beat up for no reason. You know, you know, you know, you know, it was like, you know, fake skinhead dudes showing up and especially in Detroit, there was this whole faction of uh, people that just got, you know, they all thought they were like in the national front and, had the swastika tattoos they'd show up to our gigs and what you know they weren't even into music yeah. it was just, it was just you know it was just like a, you know you know an invitation to come and like beat up the people and the funny thing they you know somebody had like long hair or looked different they would uh you know they'd always single them out and beat them up and stuff but the funny thing is when they all you know started coming to our shows these were the dudes with long hair and jean jackets with a judas priest shirt on they were like the jean jacket suburban kids that saw a couple necro gigs or, you know, you know, negative approach shows. And then like two weeks later, they're like, you know, totally oi boys. And, 
they got british accents and it was like oh my oh my god man this is like this is ridiculous is that what led you to grow your hair out again back then originally no it was probably seeing the birthday party <laughs> the really early birthday party. it was funny it's funny because there's pictures of like nick cave and me i'm bald yeah. right, right before like tie down came out and uh there's actually like some pictures of detroit uh you know larissa's band l7 warmed up the birthday party this was like god man it was like 83 and then you know you know you know they had just released you know the bad cdp and it was like you know they play this place tracks in detroit and it was you know that was a life-changing gig for me you know you know and then i was like oh my god nick cave this is like oh my god you know this is the shit i think i started growing my hair out the day after i saw that show <laughs> you know you know you know, you know that you know and, and you know the whatever you know you don't want to shave you know, we shaved the heads in the, in the beginning it was just kind of like yeah you know this kind of shocking punk rock where you know we're american kids and then you know you know you know the the kids that started doing it kind of you know adopting that you know i'm in the national front you know you know I'm, you know i'm english you know it, it, it kind of strayed me away from that too i was just like ah you know now it's kind of you know not cool oh, yeah not cool you know it felt like because you guys record that LP and then it takes a long time for it to come out, right? Like it's like a, a six months, a year before it comes out after recording. Yeah, I mean, Touch and Go was still kind of starting out as a label. Yeah. And then it was like, I don't know what the problems was, but Corey, Corey was uh, still trying to find pressing plants and printers and all that. You know, there was kind of like the beginning stages of uh, doing Touch and Go records. Uh, it was just there might've been problems with the test pressings and we had it send it back. And then, you know, at that point trying to get, you know, records from a pressing plant was like months and months and months. Yeah. So, I mean, it really came, you know, recorded in 83, but I think it came out in 84. And I mean, a year between that and hardcore is like, you know, Oh, well, we're I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot of space in between, you know, well, it's wild when you think about like, I was thinking about this today when you're, you're talking about the static, it's 79 and then NA's over by 84. It's like five years. Like, that's just like five years that changed the world. Oh, <laughs> just, uh, I guess we were at the right place at the right time. Yeah, but, well, but you gotta look. You gotta look at both bands. Nobody, you know, we both those bands started out. Everybody hated us. Nobody dug it. I mean, it. You know, we'll see what happens with the static. You know, I still have nightmares thinking. Uh, you know, it's you, there's a couple of advanced copies out, but I'm still waiting for uh, the Lester Bang review. What, what, he, <laughs> what, what he did of the, you know, the first Alice Cooper album, Pretty for You, where it was like, you know, the 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 one sentence review, a tragic waste of plastic. <laughs> you know you know you know that's you know that's still you know has to be determined what people think of that yeah and and, and now it's kind of like kind of like well this is you know this is a time frame thing so you know like over time you know people are really going to be like they get it or they don't or just you know maybe people that are interested in my other records want to see where it started what was it like that with the hyenas too when the hyenas started did people not get it the hyenas oh my god because that was like when we first came out, we did those in our first couple. Well, actually, our, the first hyenas gig was kind of cool because uh, we just moved to Ann Arbor and stuff, and uh, 
our next door neighbor was Michael Davis from the MC5. Oh, awesome! And that was that was my buddy. That was my but we hung out like every day, and, and and you know, destroy all monsters recorded in his basement. And I, and I, I remember when we first moved in there. I was walking down the block. This is before I knew they lived there. I was walking down the block, um, trying to go to the party store down that we just moved in. We're moving in, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta go get a 40, You know, we're unpacking and stuff. And then I hear this guitar, and I and I'm thinking, you know, I'm walking. I'm like, "What the fuck is that?" I go, "Who the fuck does this dude think he is, Ron Ashton?" <laughs> and then I didn't know that until a couple <laughs> weeks later when I realized they were, you know, it was Ron Ashton. <laughs> so, they practiced right next door to us. Oh, and, that's awesome. They, they actually gave us our first gig at a Joe Star Lounge. And uh, God, I think it was like, oh, it was like 85, 85 at uh, yeah, um, Joe Star Lounge and Royal Monsters. And I think about our third gig, we actually opened up for Black Flag in like 85. It was, it was right towards the end of them. I think they were doing that, you know, who's got the 10 and a half. So, you know, it's a total, and, and I think what happened, whoever Black Flag was touring with that, I don't know, you know, like Painted Willie or, you know, like Tom Tricoli's dog, yeah. somehow one of those bands didn't make it, that you know, their van broke down on the way to the tour, so they didn't have an opener. So uh, they called us up to go, you know, oh, I was laughing, I just want to open up for Black Flag, and I go, well, we're not really ready. You know, you know, because we had only done like a couple shows. We only had a couple songs. So I remember when we opened up for Black Flag, and then people saw me come out. People hadn't seen me for a while because I moved to Ann Arbor. And, you know, I had the long black hair. People was like, "Ooh, this isn't," you know. And, then, and then as soon as I came out, you know, everybody's yelling out the negative approach songs. And then as soon as we started going into that, you know, the early versions of like the Hyena songs, people were like, "I don't like this. I get it at all." So, I mean, that was really like people, I think people really wanted me to go on and, uh, you know, do negative approach too, you know, you know, at yeah. that point. And, you know, we were on a whole different wavelength at that point, you know, to, uh, you know, at that point we were kind of like, you know, the original hardcore thing was just kind of over as far as we we're concerned. And we were getting into different kinds of music and stuff. So well, I wanted to, you know, start something completely different, you know? Yeah, no, and it feels like that 80, 83 84 and 85 was like the years like well dino those guys start you know like it feels like there's a shift with a lot of people that were into the first wave of hardcore or kind of the architects of the first wave of hardcore yeah. starting to do different things even in dc right like they start doing revolution summer shortly thereafter right so it feels like there was uh there were some people that went on past the hardcore thing do interesting things yeah and yeah. it just yeah i mean at that, that point we were just on a different path you know but you know it, like like every every band I've ever you know as soon, every new band I've ever put out it's like as soon as we start people are like oh, I don't like this I don't get it it seems people ca always catch up to you know the records I've done twenty years after the fact they're like oh that's pretty good I mean it, I still got the hardcore kids discovering the hyenas yeah because you know, when that you know when that came out it's like oh it's John Brandon's art band that ain't no good and then like twenty years later they're like. You know, you know, see some kid, you know, post some stuff and be like, yeah, when this stuff came out, I didn't give it the time of the day, but it's pretty cool. You know, you know they grew yeah. up a little bit and they're like, oh, it's different. You know, it's something different. You know? Well, because you have so much nostalgia attached to stuff when you discover it that you become so protective over it. You know, like you just can't open your mind to someone else changing because, you know, it's almost like a, a security thing, you know, over a certain era of someone's career. Like you yeah, came to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
What was, uh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, how'd you meet Laura Lee? She was your roadie, right? For a while with Negative Approach? That was, well, it was, she used to cut, you know, oh, oh God. Uh, yeah, she was. I'm trying, I'm trying to put it all together, uh, timeline. Um, that was actually, okay, we had released Tied Down. Tied Down finally comes out. All the other the guys that played on it, the original guys, the brothers mm. and Opie, they had quit. They had quit at that point. So the record finally comes out months later, and then Corey, you know, Corey from Touch and Go, he's like, you know, he's like, John, I'm putting out this record. What what are you gonna do? I go, what do you mean? What are we gonna do? <laughs> Those guys all quit. I don't have a band, so I kind of it wasn't you know it wasn't like total pressure, but he was kind of putting pressure on me like. Well, you guys, you got to promote this album. I go, I don't have a band. So I kind of, you know, kind of handpicked some guys from the local scene and kind of, you know, I always call it the fake NA, even though there's been, you know, a million, you know, versions of NA. Um, kind of, you know, they could play the songs and we kind of went out and did, you know, the ill fated tie down tour because it could, you know, it's kind of getting some pressure to promote the album. Mm-hmm. So, like those guys, they, you know, you know, you know, I remember Laura before these guys, but uh, you know, it'd always be like at the last, you know, you know, towards the end end of NA gigs. But uh one of the one of the guys was really good friends with her. Mm-hmm. So and we actually ended up uh rehearsing in her basement, you know, you know, for you know, we did that us uh, 84 summer tour, which you know, it was supposed to be like a six-week tour, which only lasted about three weeks because the drummer we had at that point um he flipped out and quit i remember we did our last gig in memphis and you know and it was about a week away we had all these gigs like scheduled with the big boys and you know we were going out to la play with like the toy dolls and the effigies and the, you know this, these huge gigs in la golden voice gigs or whatever and you know we broke up in memphis right before you know we made it out to that so at that point you know i'm thinking like well i try to you know we did like East Coast shows and kind of some down south shows. At that point, I was like, ah, Neg Approach is over. So at that point, you know, Larissa's band, L7, had broke up too. And at that point, I'm like, I, I can't do NA anymore. It's just, you know, I tried. I tried to keep it together. So at that point, you know, that was kind of like, you know, Larissa and I was like, well, maybe we should start a band. And that's, you know, when we started talking about putting the hyenas together, you know. Yeah. Wait, did that did you have any plans for continuing negative approach to record more at first with these other guys? Like, where'd you think the sound would have gone? I, I would hope, I would hope. Cause it, and, 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 well, it just kind of freaked me out that, you know, they were just kind of getting, well, at that point they were kind of just disillusioned from the scene and they, they wanted to write different kind of music. Yeah. You know, they, they went off to uh, other bands and stuff. And, uh, you know, but it was just kind of like those things like, well, you got, you know, my thing, my thing was like, you guys want to break up at our peak. I go, we're just getting started here. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know what would have happened if we stayed together and wrote another record. Cause they were, they were definitely getting into other, other, other forms of music. You know, at that point I was, I was getting into the birthday party and, you know, you know, yeah. Listen to the suicide and the cramps and you know, that, you know, that kind of thing. And they, they were kind of like leaning more towards a pop direction. Yeah. Which, uh, well, cross wires was, was well, that's Chris's what, band. Yeah, well, they they kind of went in that direction. So, so I mean, it was kind of like 
I mean, as far as negative approach, I wanted to get more, you know, violent <laughs> and <just> maybe <laughs> you know, see, see what we would, you know, what, what, you know, what would have come out after that. But they, you know, they were, you know, they were veering off and I was veering off. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't four guys sitting in a room, you know, with the, the same mindset. It just wasn't there. So, you know, they went off to do what they did and I went off to do what I did, you know. Because there's like, uh, you know, like I love the album, obviously. And, uh, but first hear, first time hearing it, Evacuate was always a song that bothered me. And then I've grown to love it where it's one of my favorite Negative Approach songs. I hated that song. I hated that song so much. That was an Opie riff. Yeah. And I, that was my least favorite. Um, it, 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 that's another weird thing. Like when Negative Approach started doing the reunion gigs, it was kind of like, that was the one song I kept out of the set list and everybody's like, evacuate. And I'm like, no, we'll never play that song. And then, it, you know, this is when, you know, Opie was still playing drums with us. And then we tried it one day and we kind of sped it up just a little bit, a little different groove. And then I'm like, eh, I mean, we do it now, but that, that was like one of my least favorites. And that, 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 that was a straight up, you know, Opie riff right there. But your vocals are so different on that song too. Like you, you it looks like you took a different approach. You know, you're like hitting it in a much higher register, and it's like so much more screechy. You know, and it, it's it obviously you do stuff like that in the hyenas later on. You bring it into your other vocal stuff, but like that performance of that song just stands out in such a weird way on that record. Like, yeah, I was kind of just kind of becoming a stronger singer, mm -hmm. and just maybe you know my voice was instead of you know doing that you know that. uh yeah, I you know, it just maybe I was stretch my vocal cords out a little bit. So, you know, maybe that kind of leaned more towards what would uh, become the hyenas, you know. You were at the uh SNL show, right? The Saturday Night Live Fear show? Yeah. yeah. How did you kind of wind up at that show were you in New York hanging out I, or Uh, now it's like this thing uh the Necro, you know, I, the Necros would always do gigs in New York. And I'd always kind of like tag along, you know, they'd always be like, you know, Corey'd be like, give me 20 bucks for gas and you can jump in the back seat. You know, you know, <laughs> so they'd load up the shit. You know, I'd always, you know, in theory, roadie for the Necros. I was basically just hanging out with them. Um, they were playing with the Misfits at uh, Irving Plaza, which was like Devil's Night and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we went to that gig and, then, you know, Belushi came to the gig and it was kind of weird because my minor threat were all in town. Cause I, I think they had just played the night before maybe Gildersleeves or mm -hmm. I don't think it was CBs, but just the whole kind of DC crew was all up in there. And then it, it was kind of like, uh, you know, along with the neck, you know, Tesco, we all, you know, we all just drove out with the Necros and Belushi came to the gig. He's like, ah, oh, oh, you know, I'm going to have, you know, uh, fear on Saturday live. So he kind of, you know, we're all kind of hanging out on the side of stage, you know, the minor threat dudes and, you know, necros and all that. And he's like, I want you guys to come down to Saturday Live and cause some shit. And <laughs> we basically got us all in there. And uh, yeah, we did that. That was kind of exciting, but it was kind of, you know, it was kind of weird. It was kind of like the new cast of Saturday Night Live and nobody knew who any of those people were and stuff. And they invited us down there and, uh, you know, I'd never been to a filming of uh, a TV show. You know, when they do Saturday Night Live, they do it a couple hours before the actual airtime. They go through the whole show. Mm -hmm. So they kind of did this test run 
of the show where they they do a practice run and uh you know it was all the dc kids and you know you know you know, just you know just a bunch of people and uh i remember you know sab from iron cross and i remember they, they kind of did the test run and we were kind of doing our fake you know you know stage diving and slam dancing and i remember him and me like bumped into a camera you know and I, we knocked into one of the the, the the tv cameras and i guess we broke some tubes and stuff so they were kind of like ah they were like they didn't know if they wanted the group of people that was the test run and you know you know the the next day on the paper well next you know uh, punks invade nbc studios hundred thousand dollars worth <laughs> of damage i don't was you know like hundred dollars worth of radio tubes or something but they really kind of blew that out but i think you know that was like one of those you know right place the right time you know just uh you know you know just i happen to be in new york and you know, that was kind of exciting. We got to see fear and everybody kind of, you know, might've been America's first glimpse of who are these hardcore kids and then, you know, then of course, you know, you know, we're, they're filming that and the mic drops in front of me. So of course I have to say negative approach is going to fuck you up. And I was just so embarrassed. I said that and Ian was standing right next to me and I'd say it, you know, I had it to him. And he's like, New York sucks. It felt like a, it felt like a minor threat song or something. And then at that point, you know, they had pumpkins on the stage and the DC kids were picking up the pumpkins. And I think they kind of turned off the episode to America that it, they kind of cut it on the live feed. And did they just, just it's just one of those things that was funny. Did know? they throw you guys out right afterwards type thing where they're like, get the hell out of here, you punks? They were kind of no, it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but we were asked to leave immediately. <laughs> you know, just leave now. I mean, I, you know, they didn't call the cops on us or anything, but I think it was just like you need to leave now. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. Well, it's funny because there's like always it's brought up on this show and it's come up a ton over the years. There's that divide obviously between DC and Boston and New York you know where like stuff from new york didn't necessarily fly as much like obviously agnostic front and like there were connections between a lot of these bands as well but like it feels like there were divides whereas detroit it feels like there's a lot like you guys could kind of go anywhere and we're we're cool with everybody we were kind of neutral i guess we were the sweden of that whole thing um yeah you know i never i never tried to get in the middle of all that thing but i i knew there was just kind of like you know, factions were like, you know, fuck New York, you know, fuck Boston. But I mean, I, I got to say the DC Detroit thing was, you know, that we were always kind of like, yeah, you know, because we kind of all met each other early on. And, you know, like I said, Detroit just, you know, just loved the discord shit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, I guess, you know, like I guess said the Boston bands and New York bands came through. It'd be, we'd be kind of like, eh, you know, we, we, we didn't appreciate it as much as we did uh, DC. You know, but then like the misfits, you know, when I have people from DC on, they always are like, yeah, the misfits, but like, you know, the misfits were huge in Detroit and obviously had this really strong connection. Yeah, I got to really say, you know, they might've even broken Detroit because Detroit yeah. just loved the misfits. And there was always, you know, a connection with the necros and the misfits and, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, the misfits were like huge in Detroit. They just loved that shit. And then, yeah. you know, you know, I, I and they started getting a little popular. And then I, then I know that, you know, there's a whole faction of like, 
you know, like the hardcore dudes, like, well, fuck those dudes, they're kiss, you know, you know, you know, you had that going on, but you know, we love the misfits, you know, the early shit. I mean, you know, they always played Detroit. And, uh, well, it makes sense. Cause it's like, it is kind of like Alice Cooper. It is kind of like kiss and like, not necessarily a negative way, but I mean, in the same sort of way that it's theatrical. They, always, they always appreciated anything like that, you know, you know, kiss, kiss broke in Detroit and, the dolls were like really, you know, at that time, you know, were really accepted. You know, we had Alice Cooper and mm-hmm. Stooges. So that was kind of like, that was kind of the norm for us. I mean, we're, you know, we we're cool with that. And DC plays down the theatrics, but DC, DC is very theatrical. Like a lot of those bands are very dramatic. It just, I think they don't like the. Oh, yeah. It's iconic, man. Just, <laughs> yeah. uh, just the early Ian gigs are just. You know, if anybody that got to witness an early Bad Brains gig knew hands down that. That guy, you know, this is like, you know, he's on a par with like Iggy, you know, yeah. you know, the funhouse period. I mean, you know, that's one of the greatest, you know, performers of all time is HR, you know. Well, who are your favorite front people? Like, who are like the people that you look at as being like iconic to you? Well, I got to go, you know, it's, it's, it's all going to go back to Detroit. I mean, yeah. I mean, my favorites are like Al- early Alice Cooper. I mean, mm-hmm. let's specify that. Um, Early Stooges, Iggy, Nick Cave, Lux Interior. I mean, just all the good ones, you know, mm-hmm. just all the, all the killer frontmans. And I, you know, again, I got to go back. Oh, Ian McKay, Minor Threat. Seeing those shows were just like, you know, HR, you know, stuff that I've witnessed that, yeah. you know, I saw live that, you know, this, you know, those, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. It's funny because like Nick Cave is someone that you know i I think there's a lot of parallels between you and nick cave like in your careers like the fact that both you guys were in first wave bands were in second wave bands were in third wave bands and ultimately kind of like are still doing stuff that's relevant you know like there's really uh a lot of parallels that can be drawn like there's very few people that do that right like very few people are able to kind of keep doing stuff that matters i mean you know if anybody's seen him perform at any period i got i gotta say Everybody's like, what's the last really great show you've seen? And I go, last time I saw Nick Cave <laughs> in Detroit. And then like, well, what other show before that was like just really, you know, inspiring. And I go, probably the time before the last time Nick Cave <laughs> came. Cause you know, got playing, you know, he's just one of those guys that just, you know, even, you know, even though, you know, the bad seeds isn't the birthday party, but he just, he just brings it to the live performance. You can't even mess with that, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes, you know, I've seen so many gigs. It takes, you know, a lot for me to like go, wow, you know, you know, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, every time I've seen the cramps, Lux, you know, I, you know, I just, you know, I like that crazy energy, man. You know, just people that are just like, just pushing it man they're still fucking great you know it's funny talking to people that knew the cramps or like you know or around those people just how real that is like you know i think a lot of people would think that was a stage show or something but those people like lux and ivy they lived it 24 7 from the sound oh. like <laughs> the the hyenas got to play with the cramps you know at cbgb's oh that's that, awesome. that, that was like amazing oh my god <laughs> we were so like intimidated we were like you talk about fear factor, you know, it's, oh, that's Lux, that's Lux, man. You know, you know, you know, you know, but they were fucking amazing. That was, yeah. uh, I can't remember, it was in the 90s. So it was, it was kind of like, 
right when they started talking about shutting down CBGBs, but it didn't happen, you know, right away. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we got to play with the cramps. And, you know, I, I'd go see them all the time in Detroit when they played. Mm. Those, those are always like great shows, you know. I don't think hyenas get the credit that you guys deserve for being that proto grunge band or being that band that kind of helps usher in that alternative thing. Cause obviously you're on a different coast and it's not brought up in that conversation, but you listen to those first hyenas records. Like that is completely what other bands would start doing a few years later. Uh, well, like not like the I, same, obviously, but doing something different. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, we never really, I think, well, first of all, I think a lot of people were turned off by my voice. I mean, we weren't coming from like, you know, it was kind of going on right at that point. It was kind of like, uh, you know, the alternative pop sound. I mean, we're not coming from, you know, you know. I'll sound we, like Michael Stipe. We, yeah, we don't like the Beach Boys and the Beatles. We're coming from, you know, the Stooges and, you know, <laughs> you know birthday party. I mean, I mean, you know, that, that kind of thing that was kind of going on, you know, what they call like college rock. Yeah. I think it's before they call it alternative. It's called college rock. Yeah. So we were kind of like, you know, the anti that what was going on and we weren't trying to write pop songs you know you know you know and just uh you know i just i i think the concept of what we were trying to do just kind of turned a lot of people off i mean you know you know we had like a uh, like a call following mm-hmm. you know but i think we might have turned a lot of people off yeah <laughs> you know were you, were you guys ever approached by a major label yeah during that signing period was that just something that you had no interest in or we considered it but we decided no because we wanted to say well just there was this label called interscope Mm -hmm. right when they were starting out they approached us you know they became some huge fucking label yeah yeah you were that or oh yeah they did like eminem and nine inch nails and this is right when they were starting out they sent us like this like kind of form letter saying we are a new company called interscope and we were approaching you because we were looking for exciting new bands. I mean, it was kind of, I think it was kind of before they became like, you know, you know, whatever they can. And, and that, you know, that was kind of like, ah, okay. Okay. But at, you know, at that point we're still holding on to our, you know, we're independent, man. We're touch and go, man. We're not leaving touch and go. But then yeah. again, you know, we never really sold a lot of records back then. So, you know, we kind of didn't get the push as uh you know, the other touch and go bands at that point, we were always kind of like on the, you know, the bottom of the totem pole, you know, and, 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 and I just, you know, at that period when we came out, I don't, I don't think people really kind of got what we were trying to do. And, you know, maybe they just thought we sucked, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. I don't know. I just think maybe it's too real, you know, like that's the thing that's also about it. It's just like, it is like you're saying your voice is is obviously your voice so it's it's harsher than a lot of stuff that was on the radio at the time but there's just like i don't know it just it just feels like it's not a metal band playing slow down grungy riffs you know like it's this is like this is your sound because these are who you are as people we yeah well yeah i mean it was definitely who we were i mean and we really weren't you know we weren't really weren't trying to fit in or cater to anything mm-hmm. i mean we're it, you know at that point you know, with the hyenas, I finally felt, you know, free. I finally, you know, I, I was in a room with people that were all on the same page and we had similar interests because it was like, you know, every band I've been in, it's always kind of, you know, trying to convince somebody to, hey, well, check out this. Why don't we, you know, let's explore this. And it was always, you know, fighting against band members to, uh, 
you know, you know, try to do, you know, try to do some, you know, kind of style or something. But, you know, with the hyenas, it was, you know, we were definitely, you know, it was the first time we were all on the first page where we could all hang out together and listen to the same records and talk about music. And, you know, it was right when we, you know, we moved to Ann Arbor, we all lived together. It was like the monkey, you know, you know, you know we all had the house together. We we're all trying to scramble to pay the rent and, you know, do a gig and, but, you know, we were all, like, on the same page, you know. Well, like, also, going around at that time, like, there's so much weird stuff happening. Like, obviously, you got that sort of noise rock, pig fuck scene, sometimes it's called in New pig York. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Did Lydia Lunch make that up? I don't think so. She, I, I don't think she yeah, I don't think she likes it very much when it's called that. <laughs> it seems like that was, like, a description that kind of came out of, you know, the New York, maybe New York fanzine or something. I don't know if Lydia came up with that term or... <laughs> You know, maybe describing pussy galore or, you know, the pig fuck. Yeah, I, just, I, I always thought that was hilarious. I was like, what the fuck? But it's like also at the same time, you have all the stuff that's happening in D.C. with like, you know, right to spring ending and Fugazi starting and that whole stuff. Yeah. And like, you guys can, you guys played with all those bands. Like, you guys could fit into all those worlds weirdly and not fit in any We were still like all friends with those guys, you know, you know, from the hardcore scene. And I got to say, uh, we had just, you know, released the first uh, Hyenas album, Merrigaround. Mm-hmm. and um you know we're still you know we're still friends with you know the discord people and ian and all that i remember fugazi did one of their first shows uh warming up the hyenas yeah you know you know you know, you know it's like uh dc space and you know uh, ian, ian was a huge hyenas fan actually he just called me the other day because some guy's doing a book and he, he wanted my blessings because he's like is this guy legit he goes this guy called me up wants to interview me about the hyenas i go I go, yeah, he's cool, man. He's on the level. I go, it should be painless, man. I go, go for it. And he texted me back, okie dokie. <laughs> but, but, but then he kind of put a text, you know, you know, I love the hyenas, man. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, dude, I got, you know, I was like, I gotta, I gotta send you the static record, you know, so <laughs> you should be getting that in the mail in a minute. But, um, you know, we're still in touch with those guys, even though we don't see each other all the time. It's kind of like, just cause we all kind of came early on in the beginning scene where everybody was like really close and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you could not see these guys for years and then you run into them and you can just strike up a conversation. Like you just saw them yesterday, you know, you know? Yeah. So, uh, well, it's, and, and you got Nirvana open for you guys too, right? No, 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 they actually, well, no, no, <laughs> they never opened, but we knew those dudes. And when they played Ann Arbor, they'd crash at our house. Yeah. I mean, it was just shit like that. And then it's like they would come to the hyenas gigs in like New York and shit. And then, it, you know, remember, you know, Kerr came up to me one day or, you know, it was back. We were playing with Sonic Youth and Mud Honey at the, the Ritz or whatever. And, uh, you know, Kurt's, uh, he comes up and he goes, oh, I really dig the hyenas sound, man. And they were on tour with Tad. And yeah. Then, and then Tad comes up and he goes, he goes, I gave Kurt that mirror ground album. You know, you know, and he, he's like, he goes, really, he's like, I really like signing records. I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. I go, you should go check out my guy, Butch Vig. You know, <laughs> that, that kind of happened. And, you know, I, I don't think I need to go into that anymore. No, the rest is history on that one. But but the funny, you know, we're, we're going into Butch's at Smart Studios to kind of, um, you know, we're, we're setting up the equipment to record Life of Crime. And, and Butch just got done record, recording Nevermind. 
and he goes he goes oh i just recorded i just recorded with uh, nirvana and i and i was kind of like oh they hooked up with you cool man <laughs> You know, I didn't, I didn't know what they just did. Yeah. He goes, he goes, why well, you guys are setting up your equipment? He goes, I got the tapes and he was trying to do the mix. He goes, I think this is going to be the first single. And I, and he goes, do you mind if I play it and fuck around with this while you guys are setting up your gear? I go, I don't care, man. And it, dude, it's like, smells like teen spirit. <laughs> and I was like, I remember we were all kind of like, this sounds pretty cool. <laughs> you know? I go, this guy sounds like the Pixies or something. <laughs> you know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we had no idea what the fuck he was playing. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like one of those things, like, you know, you look back on it and you laugh, you know. But like yeah. when you when you listen to Nirvana, you do hear that that the hyenas would have been an influence. Like early on, like 87 when he hears I that. Can't, I can't say that. I can't say you that. You don't think you don't hear it when you, li- you listen to him on any level? Not that I'm aware of. I, they had their own thing going on. I mean, you know, that was so like, that was just, you know, to me, that's just them, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I'm not saying they're like a hyenas clone band or anything, but I can hear that in there. Like, the same way I hear the wipers in there, the same way I hear the pixies, as you said, in there. Like, they, they, they were did, definitely listening to us. The fact yeah. that, you know, you know, that Kerr was like, ah, oh, dig your records. And, you know, they'd come and play in Ann Arbor and they'd crash me, me and Larissa's apartment. At that point, we had like an, we didn't have the hyena house anymore. But you know they you know they crashed on the floor on the sleeping bags after playing the blind pig in Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah, and, and be funny, which is another thing. Like Kurt's like, can I check out your records? I'm like, yeah. You know, you go through the stack. Of course, he pulls out the lead belly. <laughs> Where did you sleep last night? And then I go to him. I go, yeah, me and Larissa want to do a cover of that. And of course, he's playing that shit. <laughs> And then and it, this is when they, you know, they were torn out bleach and shit. Of course, you know, they went, you know, you can't even touch that song now. No. But, but I just thought that was funny too. You know, that he play that record, you know. I I want to hear you do that still. I I don't care that they've done it. I want to hear yeah. you sing that song. That's when me that's when the hyenas we were really, you know, we were really into the fucking blues. I mean, we, you know, we we're going through our, you know, our John Lee Hooker, Lead Belly, you know, Holland Wolf thing. Mm-hmm. Which, which you know was kind of like the late 80s you know really discovering the blues and buying I, all the records and playing them and you know have you ever thought about doing like uh like doing like a stripped down just your voice and guitar record or doing like your voice and piano type record like nick cave does like have you ever thought about trying that? uh we just haven't got there you know but maybe yeah, yeah. i mean i wouldn't be opposed to it like I didn't. It wasn't until I watched you. Like obviously, you know, fan of your voice on every level. But like watching you do, just sort of like a straight up clean blues vocal at that Dinosaur Junior Jam session. Uh, I was oh, kind of like that. That was kind of ad lib. But I was like, I'm just like, I'd love to hear you take that voice and put it into a context like that. You know, like I think it'd be really interesting to hear. It, it, it's kind of funny because you know, after we all hung out, Michael Parallelli, um, he texted me. Yeah, you know, he's like, John, it's great hanging out with me. And he goes, he goes, he goes, you're the John Lee Hooker of hardcore. <laughs> and yeah. I thought that was funny as shit. You know, uh, it was amazing. And then I, I, I'm like, why is he saying that? And I, oh, I forgot we were. That was kind of a drunken night. We kind of went into all those blues jams at the end with the, you know the little kids playing along. And yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of funny. That was kind of funny. The next morning, looking over at you, hanging out with Christopher from, from the Sopranos. Right. Taking a picture that made that whole trip worthwhile. 
Like oh, I'm I, so... look pretty, I look pretty hit in that photo. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, this has been amazing, John. And I could talk to you for hours. And I know you got to get stuff going because you're going on tour soon. But uh, anytime you want to come back here, man, I'd love to talk to you more. Yeah, man. Give me some updates. Maybe maybe there'll be some real drama after this tour. Oh, my God. There's so much stuff to get to. But uh, before I let you go, I got to ask you about a band that I'm sure you have some stories about. But they're a, a Turn It A Punk favorite to ask about slaughterhouse on depression records did you ever any experience uh, with that band yes and i heard harold just on the way to practice i don't know the guy's name i'm not it's not bob the singer but i guess the drummer or the drummer just died oh my gosh sorry to hear that um god i, I can't remember the name i remember the dude but uh, but he goes you remember blah 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 oh david stan this it's the drummer yeah dude that was a conversation yesterday he goes, he goes harold's like remember that guy he's the drummer in slaughterhouse i go yeah i go they get you know the guy with the hair and you know you know had the leather on you know <laughs> you know i'm trying to describe what you know my memory of him and he goes, he goes yeah that guy just died oh and then, man yeah you know, I, I heard it was kovic oh goes, wow yeah well harold's like yeah he was an anti-vaxxer you know you know whatever sad story but uh absolutely we uh the Highness did some early gigs with Slaughterhouse, and I was buddies with Bob. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, he was always a nut job because he would always like he would like do his shows, and he always be lighting his hair on fire. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, you know, and, and then I remember uh, years later, you know, Easy Action was doing shows. God, I, I think he, he was in, it was in San Francisco. He moved out to San Francisco. And Easy Action was doing shows out, and he'd come to the shows, and we're like, Bob, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I had to get out of Detroit. And I think he might have died, too. I think I heard he passed away, actually, that not too that's long what ago. I, that's what I'm saying. So uh, they, they just seem to be a band that anyone I talk like Dave Pajo from Slint was on, and he was saying that he saw them at CBGB's on the first Slint tour, and it scarred him for life. Well, He's like, it was the know, most. They, they became another band. I don't know if you're aware, you know, after Slaughterhouse, they became a band called Cum Dumpster. Oh my God. What? <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, you know, the legacy continued on that level. You know, and they were, uh, yeah, they were really out there trying to, you know, do their thing. As it goes on, it gets crazier in Detroit. Like the stuff like during this era where it's like Cum Dumpster and Cold as Life and Pitbull and like there just feels like. It got it got heavier and heavier in the scene and weirder and weirder in different ways. We, I mean, at that point, we were living in Ann Arbor, so you know, you know, the highness. So we're kind of like, you know, when that coldest life thing came up, you know, that was kind of like, you know, we were already doing the highness and stuff. Yeah, you know, that kind of came up in Detroit and uh, mm -hmm. people. I know those dudes, and uh, you know, we've done you know, done shows with them, but uh, yeah, you know, just you know, we were just kind of like in our own world in ann arbor not really hanging out with anybody in the basement trying to write some albums and oh. a lot you know you know and and i guess one last thing i wanted to ask you about uh can you tell me about being in the terrence malick film you guys were in that oh my god <laughs> which 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 they cut our scenes man oh <laughs> uh, i forgot you know i god. me and harold were just talking about that the other day because we were trying to figure out how we could get the footage if, yeah if we were talking about um they contacted us and uh 
where God, was that was that south by southwest or something i or? think it was fun 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 fest right or no fuck yeah fest or or, or uh I mean, texas or what was one i'm trying to remember now fun 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 i think it was fun 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 Either fun 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 or it was big outdoor fucking thing you know we were playing with like you know god it was like you know dancing the damned uh public enemy slayer all you know just it was this big outdoor festival and i remember the whole thing was a big dust bowl and everybody had bandanas you know because it was all muddy and the dust was flying all over big big outdoor thing in austin oh he was there filming some fucking movie who's that guy uh ryan gosling yeah ryan gosling yeah he was doing some new movie and they contacted us because i guess uh he wanted to film some you know this guy was it was supposed to be some kind of movie with the guy was in the music industry so he he went over the list of the bands and i guess his assistant because you know he didn't know who the hell we were she showed him youtube videos of all the bands on the festival and then i guess he saw the negative approach footage you yeah. know whatever youtube video he goes i want this guy this guy is in the movie i this this is the guy i want which i thought was kind of funny because the guy has no concept of who we are but I guess you like my moves, man. Well, that shows you that it's, it's 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 something that's objective. It's not subjective at all. It's like objectively a great performer. So go on. So. Even it, 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 so it was this whole thing where they had the camera set up. We're doing this big outdoor gig. You know, the thing with the cherry pickers. You know, it's like a movie set. Yeah. yeah. It was this whole fucking thing. Um, oh, brother. This is this is going back. Um so ryan goss he's playing this character that i guess he's in the music industry so we're appearing as ourselves actually when we're doing the line check in front of like ten thousand people so it's kind of like they got the cherry pick action now you know you know they're filming all this shit so they got ryan goslin it totally looks like some hollywood geek he's got like blonde streaks in his hair and five thousand dollars cowboy boots on and probably you know two thousand dollar designer jeans i'm trying to look like he's dressing down yeah man so he's supposed to be my roadie so they they set him out we're actually like setting up the gear in front of the audience and they're filming and there's a whole you know the whole fucking crowds there you know we were going you know you know the damned were you know they were going on right next after us and uh he was supposed to be a roadie and terrence malley you know he's got the action you know he's got the megaphone he goes he goes stand next to him stand next to him. so he had to go up there and act like he was adjusting my mic stand you know like kind of putting my microphone on the mic stand, yeah. filming all this shit and we're just kind of like setting up like doing our actual thing because we're just about to play and then it, 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 and then some guy on the side he goes go up there i go what he goes go, go stand next to ryan so i go so i go up to the guy and i'm like I go up to Ryan Gosling. He's all, he's all, you know, he's acting like so out of place, acting like he's a roadie and shit. I go, what's up, man? And I swear he jumped like 10 feet. I like <laughs> the fuck out of him. And Harold was laughing, you know, because they're filming this. So, and then they fit, you know, they film part of, you know, our, our show and stuff. But um, I think he had some health issues and he scrapped part of the movie and then he had to re-resume filming it like two years later to finish mm-hmm. the movie. And then all our all our shit just got cut. You gotta and get that footage. 
I saw, I bought the D, I bought it, found it used, and I bought it. I, I just thinking like we're gonna be in it. It was a horrible movie. I think I, like John Lydon's in it and Patty Smith, and I think they kind of like cut all our shit out, but the other. You know, there's a scene where he's walking through a hotel and Patty Smith's checking in or something. It's, you know, I think it's called Song to Song. It, it's something like that. Okay. I gotta, we, were all, we were all excited when it was going to happen. We're like, we're going to be in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> we need to start but, a Twitter uh, campaign. Release the Brandon cut. Release the Brandon cut of well, Song to Song. Point. Well, Harold brought that up the other day. He goes, God, I wonder if we could ever get that footage. He goes, he goes, when you walked up to Ryan Goss and said, what's up, man? And he goes, <laughs> He was terrified of you, and that you know, I, you know, I got my game face on because I got all the people in front of me, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, Mr. Brandon and shit, but uh, yeah, he just, it was just so funny how he looked so out of place, and they tried to, like I said, dress him down like he was like some kind of roadie, yeah, or some guy in the music industry, and I was like, dude, you, you, you got Hollywood all over you, man. You don't, you don't belong here. You know, you know, but it was just, it was just hilarious. And I, you know, I thought it was funny as shit. They wanted, they wanted us to, you know, out of all the bands on that festival, they wanted to pick us to, you know, do the little scene. Terrence Malick's got great taste. That's what I, my takeaway is. Well, I dig his movies. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you cut my scenes, man. Well, that's probably was that wasn't very good. If you kept that in, it could be another thin red line or something or another Badlands. Oh yeah, well that that's the shit right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Well, so that was my uh that was my uh moment on the Walk of Hall of Fame in Hollywood, which just did not happen. Well, John, you are on the permanent wall of this Hall of Fame forever and ever. And anytime you want to come back here and talk more, please know I, I live for it. Oh, I love you, man. Leslie says hey. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. And what up, Leslie? Can't wait to see both of you again in the near future. And as you heard right there, John will be coming back to the show at some point. Because, um, my gosh, there's a lot more to talk about. How cool was that? Do yourself a favor. Check out that static recording ASAP. ASAP. Because... Uh, Man, I'm going to listen to it as soon as I'm done recording this intro. And it's the middle of the night right now. I'm staying up very late to do this. So the last thing I need to do is throw on a record. But I, I kind of I kind of can't help myself right now. i got to listen to this thing. Uh, but before I let you go to jam that record out, coming up on the next episode of the show, Mackie Chunks will be here. That's right, Mac from Super Chunk. That's my, that's my nickname for him. I... I don't think he really likes it that much, but you know he's he's my he's my boss. You know I'm, I'm on his label. That makes someone your boss. It kind of kind of does, I guess. Maybe I don't know, but he's my friend too, and I am so excited for you to hear this one. This is another episode that has taken forever to come together, but uh, I'm I'm happy you get to hear it. And Mac's got a brand new solo record. Mac is one of my favorite songwriters. Everything he does, I love this guy. One of the kings. One of the kings to me. And you will hear me talk to him in a, a few short days. So that is that. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. We need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths because all of that stuff isn't political. That's not political in the slightest. This is just basic human rights 
issues. Like the, the people just deserve to be free and to be able to live their lives without fear and and prejudice imposed upon them. So get involved. Look at what's happening in the world around you. If there's an organization that's doing work that you agree with, contribute your time. You know, if you have money, contribute money and help out people that are doing work. You know, just just have those conversations with people around you and and just try, try. That's all we can do. Just try and make this world a better place. And we also can just say fuck off to Nazis because that's that's just basic shit. Make your own culture because anyone can do this thing. You make a podcast, you make a fanzine, you make a record, whatever you're going to do. Anyone can do this shit. Maybe you just want to draw a couple pictures. You know, you don't have to share them with anyone, but doing something creative, expressing yourself, it, it can help your mental health. It really can. I, I promise you. Another thing that I can promise you is that meditation was something I did not fucking believe in at all. And now I, I, I do it and it, it's kind of working for me. So maybe try it for yourself. Not saying it's going to work, but maybe try it. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need that shit. And I've seen it. I've seen it change people's lives firsthand. Well, I wasn't there when everything went down, but I've seen like the aftermath change people's lives. So signing those organ donor cards. And uh, I think I think that's it. Uh, stay safe. I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. My God, did I love Negative Approach Week. And I will see you on the next episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.